going, everybody? Happy Friday. This is After Hours, the podcast. Yes, we are starting something brand new. I am Celie Godwin, joined with my main man, Emerson Latia. How you doing? What up, queen? Dude, history. Let's go. We finally can just say more words than we typically can when we're <laughs> being timed out to the millisecond on the show that we do every night, Ness and After Hours. So yeah, this is kind of nice to open up, get a little more loose, get a little more weird, bring in some guests, hear some more behind the scenes stories. And I think we've got a pretty sick show lined up today, don't we? No, it's incredible what we have. Uh, honestly, this week has been so, so oh, awesome God. for us. Um, with when it comes to news, because we needed it uh, with everything going on. Uh, so again, everybody, this is After Hours, the podcast presented by People's United Bank. Yeah, that's right. We're sponsored. Yep. First, pod, <laughs> first podcast to be sponsored here at Nesson. We're doing something right. We're only two minutes into this thing. Uh, this is awesome. All right. So let's go ahead and start off with the most groundbreaking news is that everything that went down in the NFL draft, mm. all virtual, how do you think it went last night, E? Oh, my gosh. First off, Roger Goodell was straight cringe. It's like from, from the, from the get-go, I'm like, this guy is so awkward. Like, it's what, hard what to are... read a teleprompter. People don't realize that. Yeah. He struggled. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, and there, were, you know, there were a few glitches. I think a lot of people out there wanted to kind of see more. I think yeah. people really wanted to see the you-know-what hit the fan with everything <laughs> being, like, virtual. But I don't know. Yeah, my early takeaway was, like, good God, I got to sit through Goodell trying to, like, talk to people awkwardly on Zoom and, like, say, come on, I can't hear you. Like, boo me louder. It's like, dude, be more – be try to be less of a robot. Like, our, our buddy Steve Peralta on Twitter was like, he's more of a robot than a robot. Like, it, it was <laughs> – <laughs> Whatever. But anyway, you know, as, it took 25 as, minutes to get to the first pick, by the that's way. That's another thing. Like, I, I, I'm like, what, what, are we, what are we doing here? This thing's not going to end until, like, Tuesday. And I'm talking just, like, the first round. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I got to sit through all this Goodell stuff. Just, just get me to 23 here. Oh, all I right. Gotta, I, I want to see what the Patriots do, right? And that gets us right to what we need to talk about is that the Patriots – without a first-round pick for the third time in five years, giving the Chargers the 23rd overall pick in a trade. They get back a second-round pick with the 37th overall and then add another in the third round at 71 overall. Your reaction to trading back, Emerson? Uh, my reaction was I, I thought this year was going to be the year that I think they should have been aggressive. Like, trade up even more work your work your way up you don't need any more draft picks right now you have 13 of them and you have only one million dollars in cap space like you don't have money to sign these draft picks and I, I know you technically have until training camp opens up to figure all that out but that would be a lot to figure out and who knows how much time because it was a training camp but yes no I wanted them to be aggressive I really did because especially having to sit through all that crap and and the Roger Goodell stuff again Come on, guys. Go up there. Offensive lineman, I mean, wide receiver, anything. Think of all the turnover they've had on this team. They need help right now, and it was a time to get it. What would you think? Well, I mean, it's typical Patriots where you see them do – I mean, we expected this. There was a lot of talk about them. They were not going to trade up. They were going to trade back or sit at 23rd. 
they didn't. So, I mean, it's not a shocker because this is kind of what Bill Belichick likes to do. It's what yeah. the Patriots like to do. And historically, in the last 10 years, hasn't been the greatest when they don't go and get someone mm-hmm. that's one of those generational talents that they make an aggressive move to get up and they kind of settle and let some guys sleeper picks, see who falls back. So, I mean, it's, I'm not shocked, but also I'm, I'm, I'm not disappointed, yeah. but it, it is what it is. It's just, it's just more right now for new England, more uncertainties here in new England for the Patriots now than they've ever had at any point since Belichick arrived in 2000. And yeah, you know, some of these drafts, especially in the middle rounds, have been complete home runs for Bill Belichick, but there's been some swing and misses. And I think the 2019 group is still a little too fresh to like fully judge here, but let's go like the three years before that. Um, Like the whole cupboard is just bare right now. Uh, Let's see four players of the nine draft in 2018 currently on the roster. Just two remain from the four picked in 2017 and only one is still hanging around from 2016's nine man class. Okay. So there is, there is some success in there with undrafted free agents to kind of offset all of these misses, but the Patriots, they're in desperate need right now of, of reinforcements across the roster, which is why I wanted them to be more aggressive. But I well, also think going back to all the picks they have now and a little bit of cash they, they have in, in cap space, I think we're going to see a lot of movement today and tomorrow. It, it, it's, it should be fun, and Bill Belichick and Nick Casario have their work cut out for them. The Patriots are not done trading. They will be making more moves today. They have five picks in day two. I don't see them making five selections here. They have 13 picks overall, a lot of needs. And obviously they can get that done with 12, 13, even 10 picks. So they have a lot of of choices. They have a lot of options Mm -hmm. and and it can be used in their favor and besides, you, you get rid of – you trade, swap picks, you get another pick. Is that really a negative? Yeah. Um, and, and I will say right now, make sure you're following Doug Kide and Zach Cox of Nesson, two guys who are on top of this Patriots beat every day throughout the year. Uh, they got a really good – I was just reading earlier, uh, Doug Kide's like mock draft now following that trade last night. And I think we were going to talk about a little bit with Chatham earlier in the week, but we ran out of time. I think he's thinking right now in the second round, currently 37th overall, Cole Komet out of Notre Dame, the tight end, a massive area of need. And I would love to see them address the offense right now because I think they think Stidham is the guy. There was Jordan Love there who was available at the time when the Patriots were on the board at 23 before trading. So I think if they really believed in the Utah State quarterback, they would have taken him, but he passed, went to the Packers. So this tells me right now, at least if they didn't think Stidham was the man that they would have moved up to get a quarterback. Let's talk about some of the hilarious stuff that happened in this year's draft. Uh, Jerry Jones drafting from a $250 million yacht. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was peak Jerry Jones right there. The guy's worth eight and a half billion dollars in a $250 million yacht. Also the, uh, the player he drafted, who was it? It was uh, CD. Lamb. C.D. Lamb. That's so, a steal at 17. Steal. Yeah, it, it was. There was a funny moment with him, though. Did you see, like, he had two phones, and, like, his girlfriend took one of them, and, and it's like he yanked it right back from her. I was like, oh, I wonder what you have on that phone. But 
uh, anyway, there were a lot of there were a lot of cool moments, and I know we have a guest standing by. There was a lot of um, a lot of people in sweatpants and robes and all that kind of stuff. But it was it was fun. It was different. I, I don't think the the draft was as like thrilling and as exciting as it has it been in as it has been in years past, especially with all of the different analysts like on Zoom. It was basically we'll go to you, your opinion, your opinion, your opinion. Not a lot of back and forth. I think because of you know technology and maybe some delays who knows but uh and listen we're blessed to have a draft we really are we are it, it gave us a much needed relief right now obviously the WNBA draft wasn't that long ago too I know mm -hmm. a lot a lot more people watch the NFL draft but having more sports something to look forward to and get excited about it's what everyone needs right now um and, and it's making a difference too because they're raising a ton of money it's like you know a, a draft thon where there are yep. people six different charities that they're that they're doing um we've got pete abraham of the boston globe coming up a little bit later in the show to talk about the mlb's investigation into the red sox they released their findings and their punishments a lot more to unpack with that yep. but another thing that we can look forward to is episodes three and four of the last dance, everything oh, yeah. Michael Jordan related. It's been so awesome to see this. Again, another thing that we need in this time. Um, and and there's, there were so many great moments in that, that even if you lived through it, you're like, wow, it was just nice to see it again. Huh. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting when I was sitting there watching it on Sunday night as well. Even my wife, who's not a huge fan of sports, we were sitting there. I was like, hey, because we only have one TV. I'm like, hey, let me have the TV here, please, from like, what was it, 8 to 10, 9 to 11. I can't even remember what it was. But even she was like fascinated by it because just the stories that you were, you know, you were learning about, you know, this last dance, this last year, all of these legends, this dynasty, if you will, in, in Chicago, we're going to be together in the stories of Michael Jordan. And we're lucky right now. Yes, yes, we are. To be joined uh by a man who has played against the greatest of all time, Tim Hardaway. What's up, dude? It's, it's good to have you here on the Nesson After Hours podcast, the first overall. Hey, listen, you're the GOAT as well when it comes to that crossover, kid. We talked about it on our show earlier this week. I think he's a little bit on mute right now. Oh, there you go. There ah. he is. <laughs> welcome, welcome home, my friend. It's good to yeah. talk to you again. Nice talk to you, too. I, I, I'm surprised, Emerson, you saying that your wife doesn't like sports and you're I, a sports guy. Yeah, I know. It it, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it just goes to show opposites do attract. And she's from Buffalo. And you oh. would think definitely growing up there is like a hardcore, like Bills fans as everyone would be, right. or like a Sabres fan where they just eat, drink, and sleep hockey during the winter. So, she would so, like sports, but no, she doesn't. So, so she moved from Buffalo up there to New England with you? Yeah, so we bounced around together because she's oh, also Lord. in the TV business. Yeah, yeah, oh, she's Lord. a producer at the local CBS affiliate here. We bounced all around the country together. I, but I know her family doesn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? My, well, my family loves her more than they love me, but that's a whole other story for, like, another day. I mean, they, I, she, moved, she, she moved to, to, the, to, the, to the team that, you know, everybody hates. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, to see yeah. that everybody hates. You got the Boston um, – uh, Celtics, Boston, uh, uh, who's that? The hockey team. And yeah, you got the you got the Bru Yeah, you got the Bruins. Yeah, I mean, you got you got the Revs here. You got everyone, man. The right. Patriots, the Red Sox, exactly. All the teams that the rest of the country hates. Right. Uh, but right. real quick, real, real quick, funny, yeah, real quick, funny story though is like the past few Christmases, her dad, again, born and raised in Buffalo, 
got so sick and tired of like the Sabres and the Bills losing and just sucking constantly. When we moved here five years ago, he's like, dude, you got to start bringing me home some like Patriots swag and Bruins swag. He's like, I want to be part of a winning fan base. For once. <laughs> We've been here in so long. So seriously, the past five Christmases, I've gone to like the 47 brand store here, or the online store, and I just bring him home Patriots gear or Bruins gear. Well, I, I tell tell him tell him the bills are starting to come back up again. So yeah, yeah, he, yeah. So he should be he should be looking forward to that. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, real quick though, because I know we didn't have a lot of time with you the other day when you were on After Hours, which is why we have you here on our After Hours podcast, presented by People's United Bank. What was your biggest takeaway when you saw the first two episodes of this epic documentary, The Last Dance? Well, you know. Um, like I said, we we lived. I lived it. I was there. Um, yeah, you're a Chicago guy. Chicago guy. Played against played against them played, on the Heat. Yeah, yeah. Played against them when I was with the Heat. So when we first heard, you know, they wasn't going to bring Phil Jackson back after that season. I think we all was like, "What are they doing? What is Ryan? Yeah. What is Cross doing? You know, how, how does Michael feel? You know, how does Scotty feel?" And as the as as you know, we we knew how they felt, but we didn't know extensively what was going on in the backgrounds of what was happening. You know, uh, Scottie Pippen berating Jerry Krause, talking about him real bad. You know, Mike talking about him real bad. Uh, you know, just just a lot of stuff escalated, and uh, we didn't know that it, it escalated like that. But you know. Uh, when, when stuff like that escalate it, and how they kept that team together the whole year and whatever they did off the court was off the court, but on the court, they was able to uh, keep it together and as a team to go out there and win another championship. You know, that just shows you how um, dedicated and, and how the team was, uh, what mindset was to go out there and play and, and win games and win, and win another championship. If you're just now joining us, this is After Hours Podcast. We've got the one, the only, Tim Hardaway, the original crossover king, joining us to talk about the last dance and his memories of going against MJ. Tim, the trash talk. I don't know if there was anyone who could do it as well as Michael Jordan. (laughs) Would you say he was the best at trash talking? You you know why he was the best at trash talking? Because he could bag it up in any way. He could bag it up playing defense. He could bag it up on the offensive end, especially. But on the defensive end, you know, if he said he's going to try to shut you down, he's going to try to shut you down. If he said he's going to um, be in your face and guard you and, and be all over the place and like a black cat, that's what he was going to do. And um, to, to, to have a guy trash talk you and, and, and do it really bad in your face, and you know that you you coming back at him, you coming back at him, you coming back at him. But there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do because at the end of the day, his team wins, your team loses in a series, in a series, not in just you know one game. One game doesn't mean nothing, you know. But in a, in a playoff series, in a championship series, one you know you lose that series, he's up on you. So it's ultimately about winning the series, not about winning one game. You can win one game and still talk trash, but if you win the series and talk trash, 
you know, you're done. Other you lost, he won, he's moving on, or he won a championship. So it was um it was um when he talked trash, it, it, we we tried not to talk trash to him. We tried to like, all right, let him just play. We know if you tried to stop him from getting 50, he was gonna get 50. If you tried to just play and and just hope that he scored 35, he he was gonna get 35. So that that's how you just played the game. And you guys were uh, you guys were teammates here in a couple All Star games, right? So of course, yes. How uh, how different was he as a teammate compared to a competitor? Great teammate, man. You know, in in the locker room, he uh, easygoing, uh, talkative. Um, I was with him in New York for his uh, last one with the Chicago Bulls, and everybody knew that you know that was going to be his last All Star game with the Chicago Bulls. And we, uh, it, it was like a, almost like a festivity for him. Yeah. And when I walked in, my locker was right next to his. <laughs> and I was like, who in the hell had this bright idea to put my locker right next to his? <laughs> and it's like, what's wrong, Tim? I said, you know, after the game, it's going to be 100 to 200 <laughs> media people there. I'm not going to be able to get my, my, um, my, my, my clothes out. So, so ironically, just ironically, he got a triple-double, and he uh, uh, got the MVP. And as I'm walking in, you know, festivities and everything, I couldn't get to my locker. I was like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I got to get to my locker, people. Excuse me. Can I get to – and I just grabbed my clothes, and I took them in the back, and I took a shower. <laughs> but I knew what was gonna happen. Yeah, but you know, he, he you know, it, it was fun that year, especially that All Star game playing with him, and uh, we had a lot of fun. So, uh, besides playing with him and against him during regular season, you know, during postseason, you guys met up with each other a couple times in the off season, mm. just playing some pickup games. Um, talk a little bit about what that was like doing pickup games with Michael Jordan. And from what you told us before, you two did not want to guard each other. Right, oh. right. I mean, you know, it, it was a Coward. It was intense. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it was, You know what, it was very intense. When he, you know, when, when Mike walks into the gym, anticity, uh, uh, the, the trash talking, the uh, competitiveness goes up. I mean, it just goes up through the roof. My first encounter was back in 80, what, 86, 87. Um, we had a pro-am tournament in Chicago, and this was a chance to go to the championship game. And, I mean, everybody in there, you know, we talking trash before the game, and somebody said, oh, yeah, by the way, MJ on the way. I'm like, MJ who? They said, MJ. I was like, who is MJ? It was like Michael. It's like Michael Jordan on his way. I said, oh, really? They was like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. Uh-huh. It went from there to like 100 times higher of yeah. intensity. And um, we played. We lost to him in overtime. Um, but, you know, I, we, we, that's when he kind of like, saw me play and he and then Craig Hodges was going against me. He asked Craig and Craig Hodges on his team at that particular time. He asked Craig, he said, Craig, can you stick him? I said, no, he can't stick me. I said, why don't you stick? He was like, Craig, you better go ahead and stick him, man. 
and let's go and try to win this game. I was like, all right, cool. So we lost, but you know, um, he, he, he gave me that little nod was like, yeah, you got a chance. You have a chance to make it to the NBA. And I was like, that's all I needed for him to just give me that nod. That, that was, you know, solidified that I had a chance. Yep. Not I was going to make it, but that little chance, that's a mile to me. So that, that, that helped me out with my confidence and, and, and going further in my career. So, and then, you know, just in course of the, you know, while we's in Chicago, playing in Chicago, yep. him, Scotty, Randy Brown, um, all the Bulls started coming to where we used to play at and, and uh, you know, just ramped up everything. So it was great competition just to, you know, just to play basketball. Yeah. A little more intense than like a men's league. Yeah, like the YMCA, right? It's way more intense. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, we, we was getting paid to play, but in the summertime, you're not getting paid to play. No. So it's all about the love for the game. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it, it, it was it was some battles in there. It was straight battles in there. Because you don't want to lose. Cause then it, the the uh trash talking really gets escalated. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if you're ever in Boston, you hit us up. Because we'd love to go out, and I, I remember talking the other day, and you saying you could still destroy your, your son in, like, a game of horse. So we'll see how you could stack I, up I, against Sealy and myself, I can, okay? I can outshoot him in horse. See, y'all y'all get this misconstrued. Y'all understand <laughs> all this. Hey, man, I'm trying to talk you up here. And all this. I said I could still outshoot my son <laughs> horse, all right? Not one-on-one, not playing a game of basketball, just horse. Okay. Let everybody understand it. Horse, <laughs> come on! How, how's your how's your two two step looking these days, man? Oh, it's very slow. I can show it to you, but I you know I can demonstrate it to you. Yeah. But you just gotta take it to that next level of quickness. It's slow. I'm gonna show you the fundamentals of it. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna want some yeah some crossover instruction and directions and coaching from you, uh, Tim Hardaway. It was fantastic to have you here on our first ever Ness and After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. We will have you back again shortly, maybe in it, even at the end of this documentary and get more of your thoughts on, on the last dance when this thing wraps up. But hope you, uh, hope you have a great weekend, man, and you're a rock star for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. Y'all have a great weekend, too. Y'all be safe out there. And thank you for, to the first responders. Amen. Yes. Everybody. Amen. We, we, we appreciate them. Yeah, we, we are here because of them, man. No they, are, they are the everyday heroes right now. Well said. All right. We'll, take care. We'll talk to you later, Tim. All right, Tim. Adios, man. All right. All right. So episodes three and four air on ESPN Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern. They'll take a deeper look into the colorful Dennis Rodman. That'll okay, be cool. interesting. Yeah, that, that'll be it. Yeah. And I, I wish we had like a little more time there because it would have been cool to get his opinion on that. But this baby, this this podcast is in its infant stage here in just the first oh, like 10, 15 minutes of life. So we'll have him back because I know with us talking to him behind the scenes a little bit the other day. He's got some great stories. So that's so just the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But it was kind of cool to hear him and what it's like going in and just playing a pickup game with like MJ. And I guess not really knowing he was going to show up, but had to be cool for a Chicago kid like that to kind of man up against, you know, the greatest of all time. So the NFL draft and the last dance has taken a lot of our attention as sports fans. So for some people, you might have missed it because it got dropped the day before the NFL draft. But hmm. Major League Baseball comes out with their findings, the results, the punishments of 
the Red Sox cheating allegation in 2018. So with that, we're going to welcome in Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe to kind of unpack that a little bit more and the impact of everything that that happened with that. Uh, Pete, how's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Wow, look at that beard on you, big guy. You know where to go, and I, and I mean, there's, no, there's no reason to shave. Oh. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm, I'm trailing you a little bit here. I, I, I basically gave up on life about like a month ago, and I was like, yeah, I need that. somewhere to go to like, you know, cause me to like clean myself up, you know? Exactly, exactly. By the way, I love the bobbleheads over your uh, your right oh, shoulder. Yeah. Here. Those are getting moved, actually. I, I don't have approval to have those there. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, I, I shaved t- today, guys. I, you know, I, I your made skin sure does look, look very really nice and, and smooth. Yes. <laughs> uh, hey, Pete. I, a question for it, kind of interesting timing of of the drop of this news on uh, you know Wednesday afternoon, day before the the NFL draft. Because I'm thinking if this happens, maybe early next week, it's the talk of the sports world. Instead, it's dropped on like Wednesday afternoon. How much did that play into uh, MLB deciding to release it? Then knowing that it may just go away a little bit do you think that hadn't they were thinking that at the time well i don't think it's coincidental that's for sure and <laughs> the fact that they had nothing really is what it came yeah. out to. they spent three months looking into the red sox they came away with maybe a low-level guy might have done something some of the time right and even in the report it acknowledges that they're not really sure what he did they're not really sure how he did it when he did it and if it impacted the team at all so I, you know, really, when you look at it, I thought it was almost unfair that they suspended J.T. Watkins for as long as they did because they don't really have a whole lot on him. And the other thing about this, which people I don't think recognize, he went to West Point and he graduated. He became a commissioned lieutenant in the Army. He served his country for a couple of years. Amen. The report yeah. says he vehemently denied breaking the rules. When you go to West Point and you're an Army lieutenant, you take that kind of stuff very seriously. Your your your, your duty and your honor and yeah, it's not going to character. Thing. And yeah. So I I believe when they say that he didn't do it, I believe that he didn't do it because I don't think yeah. he would lie about that. So the reaction from the rest of the league with not only the timing of everything but the punishments. Do you think that other teams will unleash some of that fury that we saw towards the Astros? Will we see something like that nature? when baseball returns or even now just on social media towards the Red Sox? I haven't seen it yet. I mean, there, there's there's a little bit of something from some Yankee fans that night, but I think huh. that would be the case no matter what. This is certainly nothing like the Astros. I mean, the Astros, you know, they had, you had players going on social media the second they found out about it and vilifying the Astros, uh, taking jabs at guys directly. I haven't seen anything like that with the Red Sox so far, and I've been looking for it. Um, no, not one player was mentioned in the Red Sox report. There's no uh, evidence of this is how many times, you know, with the Astros, you can figure out, well, this is how many times they banged a trash can for Alex Bregman or for Carlos Correa or whatever. There's nothing like that with the Red Sox. So, and the other part of it is, I think the players on the other teams know this is probably what they do too. I mean, all this really was is it's perfectly legal to steal signs with video before the game or after the game. You can do that all yeah. you want. You can look at a game and figure out what the catcher's doing. You just can't use the video during the game. But these video display that they use for the uh, replay, it's literally a TV monitor right next to the dugout. So it's kind of naive to think that no other team has said, hey, by the way, what's the catcher doing? And we can update our notes. Of course that happens. And I think the other teams understand that. And that's why you haven't seen players from any other team kind of come down on the Red Sox. 
Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing when all the players are coming out and they were just hammering the Astros after their investigation completed. I'm just like, everyone in baseball, all the players, man, people just need to be very careful right now because if you've ever done anything in the past and people know about it, just be cautious because that could surface like at any time. Yeah, baseball's yeah. got like a lot of um, unwritten rules kind of thing. Yeah, like, it hey, is. You can do this, but you can't do that. And that's one of those things. I think the Astros clearly went over the line of what gamesmanship is. Yeah. And they set up this whole elaborate scheme. I don't think the Red Sox, you know, they probably got up to that line and looked around it, but they didn't go over it. At least, and that's why there hasn't been a whole lot of reaction, I don't think. Toe uh, the line. Yeah. Uh, Pete, real quick, I, I mean, with the, with the punishment, Al, I mean, Alex, of course, has been it for a year, but that, that's all just coming from everything he did with the Astros. What is his future with the Red Sox, if he even has one? Well, I think he could have one if he wants one. Uh, when I've never seen a press conference when they let him go in January where one person after another took the microphone and talked about how much they liked the guy they were letting go. And the owners talked about him like he was part of the family. They, they said the words, he's part of our family. Uh, the, you know, the new GM talked about how much he was looking forward to working with him. Sam Kennedy, the team president, talked about how much Alex means to the community, how much he means to the Red Sox how low-level employees of the Red Sox love the guy, blah, blah, blah. So now this comes out that, you know, he didn't do anything with the Red Sox. And we've subsequently learned from that day that there was a lot going on with the Astros. It wasn't just Alex Cora. The, yeah. the players were all involved in this. Carlos Beltran was the guy who started it. The, the GM knew what was – clearly knew what was going on, and he overlooked it. They had other guys in that uh, – player in the uh, baseball operations department doing things that were overlooked. So it, it wasn't just Alex Cora. And if at the end of his suspension, if he does an interview with somebody on, on national TV and talks about how sorry he is about all of this, I don't know that if, if the Red Sox were to announce that they were bringing him back, there would be some kickback, I think, from some people. But I think a lot of people would say, you know, this is probably a better choice than somebody else we could get. Like mm -hmm. he served his, his punishment for his crime and he's – not exonerated, but he, he can feel free to move forward with his life. And I mean, he's a player's coach. The team obviously loves him. Yeah, those so, players love him a lot. Love him to death. So if he was to come back to baseball, instead of getting a fresh start, would it be more plausible to say that he'll come back to Boston where he's loved? Yeah, I mean, Alex is going to have plenty of options. ESPN would, I'm sure, take him back in a minute. Um, He's, got, he's a guy who's got ambitions beyond being a manager. I think someday he would always think about being a GM or something like that. And I don't know that he's ready to take that step yet. And I don't know that a team would want to hire him as a GM, given what happened. But he could, you know, he could stay in Puerto Rico and be the manager of their national team. He could run their national team, which is something he's done in the past. There's a lot of avenues for baseball that he could get into. But this is a guy who's 45 years old. I mean, the, the idea that his career in baseball is over with, I mean, I, you know, that's probably not true. And the, 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 the uh, example I always use is A-Rod was a pariah. I mean, the Yankees threw him out of their stadium. He was suing everybody. The Players Association wanted nothing to do with him. And 18 months later, he's on national TV, and he's America's sweetheart. So, Oh, God, people love him now, man. Yeah, talk about like a 180 and just rebuilding your image. All you, all you have to do is, is, yeah. is you know, get engaged to J-Lo. That's, right. that, that's it. Oh, it's, very, it's very easy. Yeah. So what does this mean then for Ron Renicky? Because oh, yeah. they question. took they took away the interim tag. Obviously, his contract runs through the 2020 season. But what would that mean for him as, you know, trying to get his 
again, being a manager again, like he was with the Brewers, um, would it be awful for the Red Sox to ask him to step back down to get Alex Cora back in? Would, would Ron Rennick be okay with that? Well, Ron, you know, Alex hired Ron Rennicke, who was one of his minor league managers. They're very close. And Rennicke really pursued the interim job because he felt like he was the best guy for this particular team because he knew them, they knew him, he knew what Alex was about, and that this would be the easiest way for them to make this difficult transition with Alex essentially being fired. Now Alex will serve his time. What I thought was interesting, when the Red Sox named him the manager, they didn't give him an extension on his contract. He kept the one-year contract that he had to be a bench coach. I'm sure they gave him a bit of a raise to make it you know, worth his while. But I've never covered a situation where they've named somebody the manager and he's only had a one-year contract. So if, if they had bought somebody in from outside, um, like the Astros did with, um, with Dusty Baker, it would have been more than a one-year contract, I'm sure. So the Red Sox left themselves open to make another move at the end of the season if they want to. Ron Renneke is going to be 64 years old when that happens. Yeah. Whether he wants to continue on as manager or retire or go back to being a bench coach, I'm sure they would give him that option. But if, if the Red Sox owners decide, hey, we want to bring Alex back, uh, they'll find a way to make it palatable for Ron Renneke, I'm sure. Yeah, I was going to say, is Renneke look at this and, and it, what's going through his head is like, okay, guys, I see how it is. Well, I think he knows exactly how it is. I mean, okay. Alex is, is he came to, to Boston to work for Alex. All right. I'm sure he went to Alex and said, so hey, He didn't even really sign up for this He's to begin with. He's here because of Alex. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I guarantee you, he, I mean, he was talking to Alex a lot during spring training. He told us that. And I'm not saying Alex was managing the team from Puerto Rico, but, you know, Ron Renneke was, did not just go into this and cut off communications with Alex. I'm sure they've talked quite a bit. And – I don't know that at, at 64 and he's a grandfather, he's got a lot of other interests. I don't know that he looks at this as I'm going to manage his team for five more years. I, yeah. I'm not sure that's his plan. Uh, what, one more for you uh, here when it comes to this investigation. Do you think Major League Baseball did the Red Sox a favor by releasing the findings of this report when they did? Well, I think they were doing themselves a favor because yeah. they realized that they didn't have that much and that it wasn't going to be a big story, and that they might as well try to sweep it under the rug as best they could. I mean, they released it late in the afternoon the day before the NFL draft. So that kind of tells you something right there. And had they had something pretty significant, if the Red Sox were engaging in some elaborate scheme, I think they would have trumpeted it and said, hey, look, we're, we're ferreting this out. You know, we're, we did our job. We, we found out what happened. I thought from the start it was a sketchy thing. But the original story that prompted the investigation, it, there was no whistleblower like the Astros. It was a lot of allegations. When every single Red Sox player said, we didn't do it, we, you know, we were not guilty. I went to a couple of them. I, I, I came back to them the next day and said, if you guys did this and you're all saying you didn't, you're going to look really bad. Oh, they look terrible. Said, you know, we didn't do it. This is not what people think. And, and those guys were right. Uh, before... We bid you a farewell. Uh, Celie and I were talking on the phone yesterday, and she mentioned some, something about you being best friends with DMX. Uh, this was like, this was the <laughs> I, I got to hear this story, dude. So I worked, I worked for a newspaper in Westchester County, yeah. and our offices were in White Plains, New York. And DMX is from Yonkers, which is like 15 minutes away. So I, when I first got there, I was a general assignment reporter, and I had a desk in the office. And we had these, like, our hallways had, like, glass partitions, so you could see people walking around the hallway. So I'm sitting at my desk, you know, whatever I'm doing, getting ready to do something. And I look up and DMX is walking down the hallway <laughs> in our office and he's by himself. 
and like DMX is on a guy you don't recognize. I mean, you know, so yeah. I'm like, and then he walks by the other way because you can tell he doesn't know where he's going. He can't find wherever he's supposed to be. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to go like find yeah. what DMX is doing. So I walk out in the hallway and I'm like, I'm like, hey, DMX. And he looks, turns around, like, yeah, how you doing? I'm like, I'm going to bark at him. <laughs> I'm like, what can I, you know, you, you looking for somebody? He's like, yeah, I'm supposed to take a photo. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you need to go to the photo studio. So I, I walk DMX over to the photo studio. <laughs> and the photographer, like, has no idea who he is. They take a photo <laughs> of him. They, they were writing, like, a feature story on him. And um, I hung out. And he's like, how do I get back out to my car? And I'm like, oh, let me show you. So I walk yeah. back out to the parking lot. Like, somehow, DMX, who I, I would assume would have an entourage. Uh -huh. like, this was 2003 or two. So that's still around like his peak around that, yeah, around yeah. that neck of the woods. Because I, I was, I used to love him when I was in high school, man. Yeah, he's kind of like a thing, you know? Yeah. But he was buying, he had a really nice car. I'll say that. He had like a, he had like a Cadillac Escalator. It was really nice. Oh, but sick. yeah, DMX was all by himself getting his photo taken in the Journal News. It was great. <laughs> X don't give it to you, man. And you got to make like, sure that. X gonna right give it around. to you. Yeah. <laughs> X gonna give it to you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's epic. and the other thing about DMX, which is true of all famous people, is he was short. Like, uh, yeah, I, I've always, every time I've met like somebody super famous, they're not as tall as you think they are. Yeah, Celia's only like three feet. <laughs> <laughs> not true, not true at all. <laughs> Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe, he's that's also sick. best friends with DMX. I as love it, man. Just yeah, found out many times since. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. The bearded wonder, baby. Yeah. Yes, we appreciate all your time, and we will chat with you again soon, my friend. Alrighty, two wonderful guests that we had for this debut of yep. After Hours, the podcast presented by People's United Bank. Uh, Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe, Tim Hardaway, five-time NBA All Star king of the crossover breaking um, ankles the boss up. of breaking ankles man and then uh pete rocking the full beard like when he popped on our show earlier in the week i was like whoa the tim allen from santa claus <laughs> it's just so it's just so thick this beard i'm, I'm trying to get to that point you know, it's, it's been interesting you can't really see me but i promise you it, it's a nice Kind it's of full. Half it's not patchy. on my face. <laughs> no, it's not that patchy. I'll give you that. Uh, uh, There's well, some guys you know, out Mike, there. Michael, Michael Lombardi likes to call me patchy. So no, I'm Emerson Patchy Adams Lancia. Okay. Okay. Sure. I think it's. I've seen worse. Let's just put it that way. Thank you. I'm. 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 As long as I'm not at the bottom of your list, I'm cool with that. Hey, man. I'm here for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But in in quarantine, everybody's letting everything grow out. You mean nobody has their fake nails. Their Don't let everything grow out, out, people. I'm telling you, man, everybody's hair, their color is is four inches back. Oh um, yeah. Meg cut my hair over the weekend. Yeah. She did. You got a haircut. I was You're missing I was, a little bit. I was yeah. I was <laughs> so anti my wife touching my hair and cutting my hair. I just don't I just don't trust her. Like I, I when it comes to my hair, I just I just don't. That's okay. So, a lot of people don't trust someone who's not a professional touching their hair. Exactly. But, and she kept bringing it up because all of the anchors uh, at her station at WBZ, they're all posting videos of like their wives cutting their hair for them. And, I, and she's like, let me do it. Let me do it. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to kind of do it myself. I had to clean the sides. It started popping out. So I did the kind of the sides myself and I trusted her like with the back and it feels weird back there. And like, it even kind of looks weird when I, when I get the mirror and I look at the, 
you know, I but nobody's seeing the, seen back, the of back of head. your head, man. But that, that's that's why I, that's why I didn't cause a stink about it. But there is like a shelf. <laughs> she like stopped like halfway. I, it's, it's almost like one of the three stooges. Uh, but anywho, a for effort, Meg. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And I don't know. Uh, besides that, I've just been eating a lot. I don't really know what what you've been up to. You're down hanging out with uh, with your folks in Florida, so your weather's been much nicer than ours here. Yeah, my roommates happen to be my parents um, and my dog, <laughs> which she's always with me. But yeah, I'm back with my parents in Florida. I came down here like over a month ago. Yeah. Um, I've been loving it. I know a lot of people are like angry at me because they're seeing the nice weather on my Instagram stories. No but, way, man. Uh, I- I think you did the right thing. And, and, and a lot, and a lot of people are, are even, even people who are in the same city as their families right now, a lot of people are choosing to quarantine with them because listen, yeah. if you're going to be home and like, I'm a huge family guy. So are you it, it, like, yeah. we're huge. I'm family a huge people. family guy. I'm a huge family guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You really are. <laughs> but it, but it's more of, okay. Why not take this time yeah. to kind of hang out and spend some more QT like with your fam. Uh, I seriously, I brought it up to my parents. I was like, I'm going to come out and hang out with you guys. And my mom was like, hell no, you're going to stay away from us. And so, that's, but my, that's my classic mom is your mom though. Yeah. My mom's not, not your, your typical loving mothers. It's a, it's a lot of tough love, but it's a I, love hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it really Instead is, of giving but, you a hug, she greets you with the middle finger. <laughs> she really does. The, the only reason I'm, I'm upset with you is yes, it, it has to do with the weather. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been lucky. I'm not taking it for granted at all. But uh yeah, quarantine life has been not bad. I would say we're pretty fortunate yeah. because there's a lot of people out there who have lost their jobs, have been furloughed or taking yeah. pay cuts and we're lucky and everybody at Nesson has been incredible with communication mm-hmm. and with getting things up and running again our IT department the editing, the digital people, the, everyone the, behind the scenes. The whole company, just from top to bottom. Incredible. I've, the, the fact I that we them. work we work for a company that legit cares about our well-being and is making sacrifices in, in all sorts of areas to make sure it's that rare. all of us, all of us are getting paid. It, it it is very rare. And having worked for some companies in the past that maybe don't make the employees a priority, Nesson does. And yeah. I'm extremely lucky, and I know you are too. Yeah. Uh, to to be working here, and so and we're and we're happy to do a podcast like this. Yes. I'm happy we're starting it because this might give some people out there, essential workers, people on the front line, first responders, maybe just something to distract them for a little bit from this world that they are busy saving right now. So yeah, it, it, this has been fun. I'm looking forward to doing this every Friday now with you, and we'll have a bunch more guests on. If you guys are listening, you have recommendations maybe you want to get you want us to try to get someone on you really love yeah who do you guys want to hear from let us know like we can take this thing in any direction literally it's the first show ever tell us what you want us to do uh they opened up a can of worms and they let us have at it no take backs (laughs) no take backs we get this show but uh yeah this is the after hours podcast episode one in the books we are presented by people's united bank For my good friend, Emerson Lazia, I am Seedley Godwin. We'll see you guys next week.